Hello, and welcome to the Healing No Filter podcast. I'm your host, Laura Renner. I'm an author, a nurse, and frankly, someone who's been through a whole lot. I'm here to provide you with a weekly dose of relatable, no-nonsense methods for healing your mind, body, and all things trauma-related. Now let's dive in. Hello, everybody, and welcome to the Healing No Filter podcast. Today, I'm so excited to welcome my guest, Heather Lillico. Heather is a holistic nutritionist and yoga and meditation teacher. She teaches overthinking, people-pleasing perfectionists how to manage anxiety naturally and holistically. She's been featured on iHeart and Zoomer Radio and in the National Post and Tiny Buddha. Heather is the creator of the anxiety support app, Cultivating Calm, and has helped hundreds of women find freedom from anxiety and self-doubt. So welcome, Heather. I'm so excited to speak with you today. Thanks, Laura. I'm happy to be on the podcast and be able to share this topic with our audience. Absolutely. So I know on your website, you describe yourself as an anxiety warrior, which I love because it truly is a constant battle when you have anxiety. So I'd love for you to just start by diving into your story about you know what brought you down this path of helping people who are struggling with anxiety. Absolutely. Happy to share. So I got into this work of helping people with anxiety through my own struggles. And if we sort of turn back the clock uh, a while ago, I when I was a young kid growing up, I was always kind of a nervous kid. Like I would worry a lot. I was the sensitive kid. I had big emotions and I didn't know how to process them. And I was a perfectionist. I had to get perfect or I felt like a complete failure. And I was an overthinker and I would overthink, you know, about interactions that I had with friends and if only I had said this differently, or I would overthink about the future. Like what if this happens? And I would spiral and play out every worst case scenario. So I was wasting a lot of time worrying and doubting myself. And all of that followed me through to university where the pressures got to me and it just became too much. And I started to have panic attacks. And I remember the first one I had, I was at a crowded party and my heart started to beat fast. My palms got sweaty, my vision tunneled, and I felt this overwhelming sense of dread kind of settle into the pit of my stomach. And so I locked myself in a bathroom and I just slid down the wall. And I remember thinking like, I'm going to die. This is it. It was this impending sense of doom. And ever since then, I started living in fear of when was the next panic attack going to strike? Was it going to hit me when I was out, you know, at a crowded party or at a concert or when I was writing a test or in a big meeting? And it got to the point where I was so overwhelmed and I was so on edge that something needed to change. So I went to my doctor and I said, I'm having a lot of anxiety. What can we do? And she pulled out a prescription pad and she started writing me out a prescription for anti-anxiety meds. And I said, let's just pause because I really haven't explored other avenues yet of what I could do. And so this is where I went down this rabbit hole of managing anxiety in a natural way. So I started by researching some foods that I could add in. I went mostly whole foods, plant-based, and I started to feel a lot calmer. And then I still felt like my nervous system was pretty amped up. So I started practicing yoga and I felt a little bit calmer still. And then I still had a million different thoughts swirling around in my mind. So I started practicing meditation and that was like the final piece of the puzzle. That's where it clicked for me by putting these habits into place consistently in my life. I saw big changes in my mental health, my anxiety, my confidence. And so that's what I teach others now is this system of how can we put these habits into place in a way that feel manageable in our day, in a way that prioritize our self-care and that really show ourselves that we are worth it. We are deserving of this change in our lives. And so I teach people this with the power of meditation, nutrition, and yoga. 
Wow. That's, you know, that's so amazing. The fact that, you know, you had the awareness to say, you know, when you were presented with the the concept of medication, let me first explore other options because for most people, they don't even know that that's an option. So that's truly amazing that you were like, hang on, I'm going to explore other options and that you had such success with it. Yeah. And I mean, I'm not anti-medication or anything like lots of clients I work with are on medication. And I think it can be helpful for people to kind of get a baseline where maybe they're more receptive to the work, right? Like if we're just so jacked up all the time, we just simply can't even think about, you know, I, I can't even meditate right now. Like I'm so on edge. I'm I'm teetering. So I think there's a time and a place for it. But what I found for me is that it was going to be more of a band-aid solution. And I really wanted something that was going to work long-term for me. And what I've seen is that a lot of people have the goal, if they're on it, that they do want to come off of it. And they want to figure out like, can I get to the root of what's going on? And then also balance myself out with these habits and practices that I do every day so that I can not just manage, because I think the word manage means like a constant item on the to-do list, but it's more like, what can we heal and, you know, put these practices into place that are truly supportive for ourselves? I, I love that so much because it really does need to be a comprehensive approach and everybody is so different. So you really do need to take into account a lot of different concepts and different approaches to, to have it stick. So I love that you just kind of touched on the managing versus healing because for a lot of, you know, uh, providers in um, the mental health field and whatnot, and just the internet talk so much about managing symptoms. So do you believe that it is possible to fully heal or is it more focused on just managing? I think that, I think we're always healing. So I think there's an element of like, you know, this work will go on forever in the sense that personal growth, I think always goes on forever, right? We're always peeling back layers. We're always thinking we have healed something and then maybe being presented with something deeper to to go through. And so for myself, what I found is that, you know, I had these sort of deeper beliefs about myself that I wasn't good enough, that I wasn't lovable, that people were going to leave or abandon me. And that's the piece that I really had to work through and sort of reprogram, rewire. But I think it is still a constant journey. And while I'm at the place now where I haven't had a panic attack in many years and I feel like I can catch myself a lot quicker when I start to feel anxious and, you know, have that awareness. But I don't know that the goal is really like to annihilate anxiety and get to the point where it's zero anxiety because the purpose of anxiety is to alert us to danger, right? That's like an evolutionary response. So we're not going to override that. I think it's unrealistic to expect that we could have zero anxiety and never have that feeling. But I think it's possible to relate to anxiety in a different way, right? So we're not identifying as like, I'm just an anxious person. Like this is always what it's going to be. This is always how it's been, that status quo. I think we can get to a place where we can say, I'm having a feeling of anxiety right now. What might be going on here? Dive into a little bit, process it, and then release it and let it go and then move on with our day. It doesn't have to be so all consuming. Oh yeah, no, that's such a great point because you're exactly right. You know, we are just biologically wired to alert ourselves to threats and that's through anxiety, but we often turn it kind of into more irrational, uh, ways of it manifesting in our lives and thought thought based as opposed to, you know, true danger threats. So I'd love to hear more about your approach. You know, I love that you're very natural and holistic. Um, uh, uh, you're sorry, stumbling over my words now. Your approach is very focused on being natural and holistic, which is mm-hmm. 
so great. And I think, like you said, a very comprehensive approach. And so can you just kind of explain your methods for um, approaching anxiety for treating? Yeah, absolutely. So the methods I use are holistic and natural, and they're really about bringing together these pieces of the puzzle. So what I've discovered is that there's really three pillars I think that are key when we're talking about anxiety. So mindset, which is what are the thoughts that you're thinking? Nutrition, what are the foods that you're eating? And then movement, how are you moving your body? And if we can build in habits into our day coming from these three pillars, right? So adding in a meditation that's going to regulate the nervous system, calm anxiety. If we can add in some mood boosting foods, if we can move our body in a way that's going to regulate that nervous system and move it in a supportive hormone balancing way, we are going to feel a lot calmer. And that gives us the opportunity then to do some of that deeper work of what are the roots of anxiety? Like, why are we having this feeling? Because a lot of people will think it's about the situation, right? Like I get an email from my boss that says, Hey, can we talk? And all of a sudden it's like from zero to a hundred, like my heart starts beating fast. My palms get sweaty. I'm like, Oh my gosh, I'm going to get fired. And it, someone might have that sort of like spiraling thought pattern, but it's not about the situation itself. It's not about the boss emailing you and saying, Hey, can we chat? It's that it activated something for you, right? It activated some deeper belief in yourself that feels dangerous. It feels like, oh my gosh, what if I get fired? If I get fired, I'm going to lose my house. My partner's going to leave me. Like it's that kind of spiral. So if we can address the root of that limiting belief, then we're going to feel a lot calmer, a lot more confident. And we, we do that through this reprogramming work, but we also do that through having these solid habits in place, right? Because every time you meditate, every time you eat a nourishing food, every time you go for a walk or do some sort of physical activity, it's like sending that signal to yourself that you are worthy. You are deserving of this self-care time. That's so true. I mean, it really, it does come down to, like you said, really establishing kind of that safety baseline, which really does require, you know, um, a mindset approach on nutrition, really just that full holistic approach so that your body and your and your mind can feel on board with it being safe because you're right. I mean, I know I can speak for myself. Oftentimes I'll feel anxious about something and then it just kind of spirals. But in reality, it's just my body and my my mind have trained itself to react in this way from the past. And so it really just comes down to kind of establishing kind of that regulated nervous system space so that you can kind of go deeper. So I love that you said it that way. That's so great. And, you know, kind of to just go on to that overthinking, you know, it's something that we all do. I do it. It really is just, you know, thinking too much is such an addiction and it really amplifies when you're an anxious, when you're someone who has anxiety and an anxious person. So what do you think is the root of overthinking and how do you help people to stop overthinking and let it, you know, run their lives? I resonate with this so much because the overthinking is it's spiraling, right? And it feels like we just have thousands of thoughts coming at once. And sometimes it feels like they're out of our control, right? Like it's, it feels so automatic and in a way they are automatic because our thought patterns, I mean, these are our beliefs, right? This is sort of like the lens that we see the world. And these are developing when we're kids, when our subconscious mind is forming. So if we're getting messages when we're young, like for example, the people I work with are typically perfectionists. So maybe you got the message when you were young that 
you have to achieve to be worthy, right? So if you're doing a project at work and you make a small mistake, you spelt something wrong, you you know forgot to include a paragraph or a table or something, then that would feel so rocking to your sense of self-worth. And you would start to overthink about that. Oh my God, I made a mistake. I'm such an idiot. We go down this sort of like negative self-talk pathway because the root of it is not about the report. It's not about the fact that you left something off of it. It's about that it's activating that deeper belief in you, that deeper subconscious pattern of I'm not good enough, or, you know, I have to achieve this to feel worthy. I'm only as good as my next achievement. If we have those types of beliefs, that's going to filter all of our interactions with the world. So that's really the root of it. What I've seen, the root of overthinking is that it's activating some sort of deeper core wound, we could say, or limiting belief, something that developed when we were kids and really developed to help us survive, right? Like if I was a kid and I only got praise when I did a good thing, then I would want to continue to do good things because then I got praise, aka love, right? And as humans, it's such a basic need is our need for love, safety, connection. So it's sort of this, it's an adaptive strategy that we have this type of belief, but as grown up versions of ourselves, it really doesn't serve us, right? Because then if every time you make a mistake, you you spiral, like you're going to be exhausted all of the time and never feel good enough. Absolutely. I, you know, I, I can, Ooh, that really speaks to me because as a recovering perfectionist, it, it really is that it's, you look at, you know, single moments and think, how, you know, it wasn't perfect and the spiral starts and the anxiety starts and it just builds and builds and builds. And then you kind of create those patterns where you just continue to do that. And your, your mind just kind of latches on to continuing to do that and seeking, you know, that love, like you said, cause that's ultimately what it is. So yeah, that's overthinking is so painful, truly it, cause yeah. it just be, it becomes this addiction and it becomes something that our, um, our brains just, you know, plastically respond to and just become, it just becomes a deep neural pathway that we kind of can't stop. And it makes it really hard to break. Yeah. And there's this element too of, of, you know, when we overthink that, so we overthink kind of as a way to avoid danger, right? We think if I can just think of every possible way that this could turn out, then I'm, you know, then I'll be prepared. I'm going to be safe. And this is why we go through like the hundred different, what if worst case scenario categories. And it's reinforcing because if I think, oh my God, like, okay, what if A happens? What if B happens? What if C happens? And then none of those happen, but I've trained myself that, phew, I've survived that. It must have been because of the overthinking and because I was prepared that helped me survive that. And so it's reinforcing then that, oh, good, next time I should overthink because that's what helped me survive. And that's all the subconscious mind cares about is survival. It doesn't care if you're happy or not. So that's why we really have to break down some of what's going on. And I think the awareness is the first step. If we can become more aware of our patterns and what's being activated, then we can start to have the shifts, right? We can use our mindset to shift that. We can use meditation techniques to shift that. Um, we can use exercise and, and movement as a way to regulate the nervous system and shift. We can use nutrition and food to make sure we have the building blocks we need to feel calm and to have those shifts. So it really all does come together. But I think having that awareness of the roots of some of these, that's a key first step for people. 
Yeah, I, I, I completely agree with that just from my own perspective. And once I kind of started gaining that awareness, you realize how involved it is, how much it really is occupying your mind so much when you're constantly looking for these potential problems that really aren't actually happening. But it just it leads to that spiral. It leads to that just complete dysregulation. And yeah, so that's amazing that I love that it really does just come down to awareness as a great stepping stone to kind of get started. So yeah, and and having, you know, that kind of baseline safety in your body and your and your mind and your nervous system. So I'm, I'm all about meditation. I love that you're into meditation as well. So I know for me, it took a while to really get into meditating because as someone who was chronically anxious for most of my life in a chronic, you know, hyperactive, uh, sympathetic nervous system state, I had a really hard time. I thought that I was someone who I can't meditate. This isn't for me. I'm, I'm unable to relax and calm down and whatnot. But I was able to, with time, kind of get there. But I know a lot of people have said, you know, I can't meditate. I never hit that calm zone. So what do you suggest for people that are new to meditating and new to kind of, you know, nervous system regulation techniques to kind of get started and not just give up? Let's talk about it. I'm smiling so hard right now because (laughs) exactly what you have said, I have heard so many times. And that was me too. I mean... I was like, I have a million thoughts in my brain. In what way am I supposed to just, well, sit with them? First of all, God, no, I need to to numb out. Like I couldn't, I couldn't process or face them. Um, But then also I was under the impression that meditation meant that I had to clear my mind and empty my brain of thoughts. And that just was so not realistic. And so when I started to really learn what meditation was, it started to sort of shift it for me. and. What I have found is that meditation is really, it's brain training. And if we can see it as that, we can sort of use like a gym analogy, right? That we know if we go to the gym and we start doing some bicep curls, the more we do them, you know, with the heavier weights, the stronger we're going to get. And it's the same with meditation is that we're training ourselves to be more focused, more present, more in the here and the now. And so if someone says, I've never meditated before, I really can't do it, I would say you absolutely have meditated before. Because if you've ever been out on a walk in nature and you've just stopped and gone, wow, this is beautiful. Like, look at these trees, listen to these birds. That's meditation. If you are a runner and you've just been in the zone running, that's meditation. Like we can find meditation in all areas of our life. It's really just those moments when we're kind of caught up in like, awe and wonder, I think of like, wow, this is going on right now. You know, if you're ever listening to somebody and you're listening so intently and taking it all in, that's a type of meditation. So it's not as if it's this like total foreign concept that none of us, or or that, you know, is, is really hard to do. It's, it's very simple, but it does take training. And where I find a lot of recovering perfectionists fall off of it is that we want to be good at something right away. And if we're not good at something right away, it goes out the window, like no new hobbies, nothing that could sort of rock that sense of self-worth, right? Because we don't want to be bad at anything. And so I would encourage people to bring in an like a beginner's mindset into it, bring in some self-compassion to say, you know what, I'm just going to get curious about this. Because anytime we can we can choose curiosity over judgment, that's going to take us a lot farther. And that's really like at the core of meditation, what it is. So there's a technique that I teach that's so simple and it's called the pause three. It involves taking just three deep breaths where you inhale through the nose, 
and then you exhale out the mouth. And you do that three times in a row. And I call it the pause three because it's great for pauses in the day. So between meetings, when you're about to sit down and have a meal, when you're about to turn on the TV, when you're about to go to bed in the evening, those are natural pauses in the day that we can take the time just to have three breaths. And in fact, whenever I do uh, coaching visits with clients or if I'm having a masterclass with my, um, with my community, I always start with the pause three. And I ask people, how do you feel after that? And they always say, that was needed. I didn't realize how much tension I was carrying. And it's so simple to just take those three breaths. It's going to take you like 10, 15 seconds to do. We all have that time in the day. Uh, but it's going to maybe start to open the door into meditation for people who have never gone into it before. And then I'll mention as well that a lot of people feel like meditation involves sitting on a cushion, pure silence, and just being alone with your thoughts and trying to empty them from your mind. Um, But I see meditation as a little bit different. So I always like to do guided meditations. I mean, I've been meditating for like probably over 10 years at this point. And I still always do guided meditations because I think it's helpful to have someone else's voice to remind you, oh, come back. When you've lost, you start thinking and spiraling and the brain wanders. It's perfectly natural. It's a part of it. It's going to happen, but it's helpful to have that prompt to come back. And in fact, when it does wander, it's a good thing because it's like being at that gym and doing another bicep curl. You get another chance to strengthen your ability to come back to the present moment. But I think it's helpful to be for it to be guided. And then it doesn't have to be 10, 20 minutes of meditation. If maybe we're going to start with two minutes, three minutes, and then maybe you can work your way up, but it will really help get that um, foundation piece and help prevent some of that all or nothing thinking. Like I'm either going to do 30 minutes of meditation or I'm not going to do anything. I don't believe it has to be like that. I think it can be these small moments in our day. I absolutely love all of that for so many reasons. You know, I'm someone who I I'm a big fan of just taking moments throughout my day to just take some deep breaths because you're exactly right. You don't realize kind of how much tension or just kind of how amped up you are until you take those pauses. And especially just having a couple moments or many moments even throughout the day of just those simple pauses makes such a difference on how you feel and your nervous system and your stress levels. And also equating it to the gym analogy, you're so right because as as someone who was a perfectionist for the majority of my life, And I was, that was why I hated it at first. I was like, fuck this. I don't want to do this. This is like, I'm bad at it. And when you really think about it as it's something that you really have to continue to train and work towards, and it really does make that difference. Because for me, I've been an off and on meditator, really kind of honing in my practice more in about the last two years. But yeah, it was hard. It's, it is hard. And when you, when you especially kind of give yourself that grace, like you're saying of it doesn't need to be 30 minutes and a guided meditation, I am a guided meditation queen. That is all that I do because you're exactly right. Just kind of having that guidance. Cause it is really easy to kind of get sucked back into thinking and kind of lose that like present moment. And when you have someone guiding you and even just moments of kind of guidance, it doesn't have to be a constant guided one. I love some that kind of guide you at the beginning, give you a couple minutes of silence towards the end, something like that. But I feel like those are crucial for me. And 
I know a lot of people feel like, oh, well, if you're not, you know, sitting on a mat, you know, um, within the perfect pose in complete silence, then you're not good enough at it. But mm. I, and so and that's something that I know a lot of people struggle with. I struggled with that for a while until I was able to reframe it as, no, it doesn't need to be this way. It's doing what's best for you and what kind of gets you to the centered calm place. Yes. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Right. We can leave behind that notion that it needs to look a certain way. And I want it to feel really modern for people that, and this is, and you know, sometimes I dig into even like the science behind it and how it can change our brain. And like, there's so much evidence behind this powerful practice, but I still find that even with all that evidence, a lot of people have that block to starting it. And I think some of it comes from the perfectionism part of, no, I'm going to be bad at it. And then some of it comes from an inability that a lot of us have, and I say this without any judgment behind it, because I had this, that we don't like to sit with our feelings and mm-hmm. meditation is about processing them is about sort of seeing what they're there to teach us, right? Like, what is this feeling about? Where is this coming from? And that can get a little uncomfortable. And so it's sort of this retraining in a way to notice the emotions, notice where do I feel this in my body and notice it without any judgment, right? We're bringing that element of curiosity into it. But that for a lot of people is a, feels like a big hill to climb. And so maybe it's, you know, just at the start is, is just dipping the toe in the water to say like, okay, what's the feeling that I have right now? Can I name it? Because a lot of us can't even name what we're feeling. We're so disconnected from it. So maybe we're just naming, what does this feel like right now? Okay, this is sadness. And where do I feel that in the body? Oh, I feel that in my heart. There's sensations there. Like if we can start to tune into that, then we're going to be able to release it a lot quicker because otherwise these emotions get stored in the body, right? We hold on to them and we end up with disease and sickness and for anxiety. I mean, anxiety starts in the body. Like most of the nerves are going from body to brain to give signals that there might be danger. So if we can learn how to regulate the body, that's a total game changer for anxiety and how we're going to feel. Absolutely. You know, when I learned that I was blown away because for me, I always, and I had so much dissociation from my body for so many years of such anxiety and trauma that I always thought it originated originated in my head. I thought, oh, it starts in my head and then works its way down. But then once I realized it actually starts in my body and I was able to tune into my body and recognize I get those feelings first and then my thoughts spiral. That was really game changing for me because I was able to recognize that, especially tuning into meditation and nervous system regulation techniques, just how much of a difference that that actually made on it, on it for me. Yeah. Yeah. And it's like, I don't think a lot of this is taught or it's, you know, it's well known, like the role that the body has. There's a fantastic book, The Body Keeps the Score, that sort of dives into some of this and how trauma is stored in the body. Um, But I think it's just so, so interesting for people to dive into to start to see what's happening in the body first. And then, because otherwise it puts a lot on the mind, right? Like, why am I having these spiraling thoughts? Oh, if I could just control it or, you know, there's a lot of that like self-blame that comes along with it. Like, oh, why am I feeling this way and stop thinking this way? And there's, it's, it's just such a harshness to it. But if we can bring a little bit of that softness, a little bit of grace, I love that word you used, then, you know, we can start to see, oh, it's in the body. Like, let's explore that. Let's get curious about it, what's going on. And then we can shift it from there. Yes. No, you're absolutely right. And when 
I realized for me, a big game changer for me was that when I realized that this is a physiological response that I'm biologically wired to do that has been conditioned over time, but it's not, my thoughts aren't bad. My brain's not bad. I'm not bad. And I was able to kind of shift that perspective. It made such a huge difference because I would just, you know, as many people do beat myself up over it. Why is my anxiety so bad? Why, 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 why? And just kind of turning it, like you said, kind of inward onto my mind and that my mind is the problem, but really it's not. And it really just does come down to the body. So yeah, I I love that. Yeah. And this is where we can bring in these practices then, right? Like movement that then can regulate the nervous system and help us connect better to our body. I mean, for years, I as well was disconnected from my body and the practice of yoga really brought me back into that connection and into, you know, breath and movement and all of that. And, uh, to really work through things in a different way. We can sort of have that like emotional release when we're moving our body, not just when we're thinking about having it. Yes. Oh, yes. So I'd love, I'd love to talk about moving the body and exercise. So, you know, there's so much statistics behind how exercise helps with anxiety, but I I recently learned, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on how some types of exercise actually increase your anxiety. So I'd love for you to kind of talk about, you know, what types of movement, you know, help with anxiety and what you should avoid if you're experiencing a lot of anxiety. So if someone is experiencing a lot of anxiety, and especially if they are recovering perfectionists, I want to encourage them to really examine the types of exercise they're doing. Because what I found is that perfectionists often gravitate towards the intense forms of exercise, the boot camps, the circuit trainings, the high-intensity interval training, CrossFit, like that kind of workout. And that was me for years. But if you're already tending towards anxiety, meaning your hormones are already stressed out. Like your cortisol, your main stress hormone is already high and your adrenaline is going a lot of the times you're already in anxiety mode, right? In that sort of like fight or flight, that protection mode of the nervous system. And so we don't want to be pushing that pathway anymore. And those intense types of workouts are going to be exhausting you further. I mean, myself, when I was um, I got really into circuit training and boot camp, and I was doing it like almost every day. And I found that I was exhausted, but I was also getting injured a lot because my body wasn't having time to recover. And it was just leading me to be stressed out. But I had the mentality of if I'm not sweating, if I'm not absolutely depleted after, if I'm not exhausted and sore, it's not a workout. And that's maybe a mentality that we need to shift is changing the bar for what success quote unquote success looks like when we're working out, when we're moving our body, maybe we can shift it so that the bar is that we're doing something that feels good. We're doing something that really lights us up. So if someone enjoys running, great, run, go for it. If you enjoy circuit training, that's fine. I'm not saying don't do it, but think about the frequency that you're doing it with. And is it doing more harm than good? If you're already feeling like you're tending towards burnout, then perhaps we need to cycle through some other types of movement. So something like walking is like one of the best that there is out there. I mean, so much evidence behind it for mental health and it's something about being out in nature too, right? If we can get outside to do that walking, then it's going to be heaps better for, um, for our nervous system and a practice like yoga or bar class or any of these like Pilates, like the slower types of movements, those are going to be very regulating for uh, the body. There's a big focus on breath in them and a big focus on that connection to yourself, right? That we just talked about, like a lot of people are are missing. So it's a way to to build that up. 
Oh, you are preaching to the choir over here because I was a chronic high intensity exerciser for years. I would, you know, some days, one day every week, I would work out with my trainer in the afternoon and four hours later, I'd go to a spin class, Mm. which I, I just, I can't, I, the fact that my body was able to even do this is amazing, but I was just in this constant place of, I have to, I have to do this type of exercise. This is what's best for me. This is what's good. And I also thought that like, this was me like getting my energy out. But in reality, I didn't even have that energy to begin with. (laughs) I was just screwing with my hormones and just screwing with my sleep and just really jacking up my energy. And when I kind of realized that it's actually more beneficial for my hormones, for my sleep, for my anxiety, and just general health to add in more walking and stretching and things like that. It made such a difference in just my overall calmness and just mental health state, which I was really baffled by at first. I was like, no way this is going to work, but it totally made a huge difference. Yeah. And I think a lot of people find that that that's the case for them as well, but it involves that shift that has to happen, right? Of the shift of mentality of like what a workout, what exercise should feel like in the body and maybe a little bit of like retraining. Cause I think society gives us those kind of messages, right? Like there's so much, and especially in the new year, there's so much around weight loss and like what a body is supposed to look like and do. And I think that, I mean, that's like such a bigger conversation, but I think at least for ourselves, each individually, maybe challenging those assumptions. Um, and for myself, like it involved a lot of retraining to get to the point where I w- could become grateful for what my body did for me, instead of just trying to punish it with really intense workouts that were stressing out my hormones. Yes. No, punishment is, is truly the key word that I can resonate with because it really was, you know, I was punishing my body at work as a nurse. And then I was just constantly doing all of this high intensity stuff. And I would get to this point of true, just depletion, but I would think, Oh, I'll just caffeinate. Oh, I'll just keep going. If I just keep going, it's fine. And it's, it's not. And you just, and that really also creates even more disconnect with your body, which even adds to the anxiety. And it just becomes this like perpetuating cycle. Yes. Right. And a lot of people will say with the higher intensity exercise, like that's my outlet, that's my release. And I can sort of resonate with that. I think there's a time and a place where like a good sweat, you know, feels good, but I would also argue that are you using that as like a coping mechanism in that you don't want to process or sit with the emotions that are coming up. So you're using that as a tool to like push them down, or push them away. Um, sometimes I think we can fall into that trap. So it's just interesting to see perhaps like what you're going towards that exercise for, what is it offering for you? And is it a, a masking of something else, something that you don't want to deal with? Such a great point because I know for myself, I, when I was having a lot of anger or sadness or something, I'd be like, I'm going to spin class. I'm going to go to a spin class and just work it out instead of actually dealing with it. And it really was just this anxiety within my body that I just didn't know what to do with. And that was the only kind of coping mechanism, like you said, that I knew how to address and even was like comfortable even dealing with. But it really just truly, I believe does come down to the body and and nourishing our body. And I think nourishing our body through exercise is huge, but I'd love to, you know, kind of touch on nutrition and you'd mentioned, you know, some calming foods. So, you know, how do you recommend using your, you know, food as medicine for mental health, especially, and what foods do you recommend to kind of help uh, incorporate more calming into your life through food? The diet is such a missing piece for a lot of people. And I think 
you know, in a way we all know what foods are going to offer higher nutrient value than others. And I think sometimes, and even that perfectionist mindset can come in when it comes to our diet, right? Is that it can be that all or nothing thinking. Like I'm either on and eating, you know, in a certain way, or I'm totally off the wagon and, and eating whatever I want. But I think when it comes to anxiety, there are certain foods that have higher potential to, to help and give you really those building blocks that you need. So some of the foods that people can consider are seeds. Seeds are going to be one of the best. They're like nutrition powerhouses. They're rich in magnesium, which is like our calming mineral, great for sleep, great for um, muscle health as well, and has links to creating um, GABA, one of our relaxing neurotransmitters. So I'm talking like pumpkin seeds, sunflower, flax, chia, hemp seeds. These are all incredible. Getting a couple tablespoons of those a day. So maybe you're grabbing a handful of pumpkin seeds. Myself, I put flax and hemp seeds in my smoothie in the morning. You could sprinkle them on yogurt or oatmeal. Uh, those are going to be really great for mood. And then we want to consider fermented foods as well, because I don't think that many of us are getting enough of them. So fermented foods are things like tempeh, sauerkraut, kimchi, kombucha, yogurt, kefir, uh, real pickles, and they have live bacteria in them. And these live bacteria are going to support a healthy gut. And we could probably do a whole other uh, podcast <laughs> in the future about gut health. But the all I'll say is that the links between gut health and mental health are huge. And if we are supporting our gut bacteria with these real whole foods and these fermented foods, then they're going to be able to help make some of these neurotransmitters. And they can also, the bacteria in our body can also communicate with the brain and, um, and help us feel calmer. They have big links to cortisol, that stress hormone and, uh, the vagus nerve one of our main relaxing nerves in the body. Uh, so fermented foods, I usually say aim for two different ones a day. I find a lot of people maybe get one, maybe they have their yogurt in the morning, but maybe can you add in another one into the mix? And then that's going to support the gut bacteria. I love that with, you know, gut health and nutrition, I'm always learning. Like I've, I've spent so much time learning and you're, you're always learning. I mean, seeds, that's something that I didn't realize that they were such a high magnesium source. That's amazing. That's something that I'm going to start incorporating, but you're so right. It's something, you know, unfortunately as a nurse, there's no teaching for, and I can speak for a lot of my friends that are doctors as well. There's, there's no education regarding nutrition and gut health. And I was fortunate enough last year to go to a conference that was in Denver about the, the gut brain connection and how a lot of our gut really does impact our neurotransmitters in our brain and does impact our hormones and really everything just kind of our gut brain as it's called, you know, everything stems from there. And if we're not nourishing our gut, therefore nourishing our body, we're really just putting ourselves at a disadvantage, you know, mentally, physically, and in just so many ways. Yeah. And this is why we see a big overlap between people who experience anxiety and some sort of digestive problem. So I see a lot of my clients have bloating, they have heartburn, things are either moving too fast or too slow in the gut because there's really big links. And so what's exciting about it though, is if you help one, you help the other. If you improve your anxiety and manage stress, your gut health will improve. If you focus on improving your gut health, fermented foods, and perhaps some supplements, probiotics, your anxiety is also going to improve. There's this two-way street between them. Yeah. And, and you're so right. Like it really is kind of this bi-directional back and forth feedback between the two, because I was always taught, oh, like I was a very nauseous kid. I threw up literally 
constantly just from, from, you know, anxiety and stress and whatnot at a young age. And I was always taught, oh, your anxiety is what's causing this, which sure it is impacting it, but also I was, I wasn't eating well. I was always like a skinny kid, probably because I was so anxious and Mm -hmm. I just ate crap. I didn't eat nourishing foods. And, you know, my parents didn't know any, like they, they would give me as nourishing foods when they could, but I was also skinny and seemingly healthy. So they let me eat crap because I I was able to do it, you know? And so it just kind of perpetuated kind of and amplified everything and learning about gut health. It's just, it's such a, it can be such an overwhelming uh, field and kind of place to start. So what do you kind of recommend? Um, I know you mentioned, you know, seeds and fermented foods, but where do you kind of recommend just generally someone start with for gut health and especially when it comes to their mental health? I think with gut health, I mean, it can be helpful to work with a practitioner to really understand like, okay, for you, you know, what is going on specifically, but well, you can sort of speak in like general terms. I think adding in a probiotic is a good place to start because it's a really easy supplement that someone could add in. And I typically say, start low and go slow with it. So you want to start with like just a couple billion to see, well, how does this sit with the gut? Uh, and then you can sort of work your way up from there. But there are actually specific strains of probiotics that or like strains of bacteria that you can find in probiotic supplements that have been shown to be helpful for anxiety. So it can sort of be like double duty, right? We're going to support the, the bloating, let's say with the gut, but we're also going to make sure it has some of these strains that are going to support anxiety and support feeling calm. So that could be one place to start. I think the fermented foods are another key piece. And then, you know, as much as we can having real whole foods and maybe limiting or reducing some of the ones that are going to cause maybe more bloating. So things like if we're having a lot of high sugar, you know, processed foods, that's going to affect the gut. If we're having more fried foods, that's going to affect it. And any sort of like common food sensitivity. So one of the ones that I see in practice that I get a I get a lot of flack for, but people might not like hearing this, but one of the most common food sensitivities I see is dairy. You know, we a lot of us lose the enzyme to process it as we age. I don't think as adults, we're really meant to consume dairy. I mean, the purpose of it is to like to fatten up baby cows, right? We're, we're not baby cows. We don't, we don't want those (laughs) hormone signals. So, um, dairy I find is a, a big one that when we remove it from people's diet, they start to feel less bloated. Things have a better transit time moving through. And it can be something that you know, someone might know if I have a big bowl of ice cream, like, yeah, I'm not going to feel great. And that's a clue that it's probably a food sensitivity for you or an allergy, but it can also be more on this like cellular level that we're having this food sensitivity that inflammation can be happening and it could be affecting gut bacteria. So I like to challenge people to just take it out and see, you know, take it out for a couple of weeks and see what happens. Cause what I've seen with clients is that they'll say, I don't have a, I don't have a problem with dairy, no issue. And then we take it out. There's saying, oh, I'm going to the bathroom every day now. I didn't realize that, or, you know, I didn't realize I was just bloated all the time that when I removed it, now my stomach has come down. I just didn't realize it. So it can be interesting to, you know, explore and just get a little bit curious about how some of these foods individually might be affecting you if you're sensitive to them. I I love that. And I love how really, you know, everything just really boils down to curiosity and awareness, just, you know, having that awareness and being curious and not judgmental and just kind of embracing that. So I love, I mean, you are just such a wealth of knowledge and it has been so great speaking with you today. So Heather, where can people find you to learn more about you and work with you? 
Yeah. Happy to share. Well, first of all, thank you so much, Laura, for having me on the podcast. So great to connect with you and our audience. Uh, so again, those for uh, those listening, my name is Heather Lillico, and you can come hang out with me in my community, Cultivating Calm. So if you're someone who's tired of trying so hard and you know never feeling good enough or you waste time playing out scenarios in your head that won't actually come true, or if you don't know how to relax without feeling guilty, then you can download the Cultivating Calm app. Cultivating Calm teaches you to get to the roots of anxiety. And it's really about putting those habits into place that we talked about today that can help you become more calm, confident, and free. And on the app, there's meditations, there's recipes, there's yoga classes, and there's also targeted courses that have you spending just a few minutes each day to see results. Um, and this is perfect timing because, um, I'm also about to run a live program on the app that's called Beyond Perfect, which is a six-week coaching program that helps you build these habits into your day and get to the root of perfectionism and this feeling of like unworthiness. And we have to hustle for, you know, our worth and achievements and everything. So we're breaking that all down in the six-week program. And it starts on Monday, January 22nd. Uh, so I think in the show notes, we'll include the link to that. People can check it out, but otherwise you can head to the app store or Google play. And there's a free 14 day trial of cultivating calm. So you can download it and play around and check it out and start to have those shifts. Amazing. Yes. We'll absolutely include all of those in the show notes. And yes, that's so great that you have a free trial as well. So go check out Heather's app and Heather, this has been just such a treat. Thank you for bringing so much of your wisdom and experience. This is so valuable, not just to me, but to my listeners and to everyone out there who's struggling with anxiety. So thank you so much for joining me today. And thank you everybody for listening to the Healing No Filter podcast. And I'll see you next time.